0: For the Fallon family, I'm Aggie, this is Brandon, Caleb, and Joshua, and we'll be reading out of 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called our children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that we did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children, and what we will has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And every, and everyone who does hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Um, please pray with us. Lord, thank you for this opportunity to gather together as a church. Let us love each other as Christ loves us bless next sermon, and let our time together be free of the corruption of this fallen world. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Amen. Thanks, guys. Appreciate y'all. Hey, what's up, Grace Hill? How y'all doing? Good? Man, it's cold out there. I was in Savannah, Georgia for some family stuff, like, a few days ago, and it was like 98, sunny. Come back up here, it's 50, cold and rainy. It was a little, kind of, kind of a lot, but uh, glad to be here. Uh, preaching God's word. So we want to say welcome to you who are live with us. Welcome to you who are online. I think I'm looking at this camera. And uh, we're so glad that you could join us on Facebook, and that camera, on Facebook and YouTube. And we're excited to continue on in Luke chapter 9 today. Luke, so if you have your Bible, uh, you can turn there. I want to thank Mel and the band for leading us in worship, doing a great job. And we're excited just to sit under God's word, His truth Today, we are confident that God will use this in the life and in our hearts, uh, the life of the church as he compels us and leads us and convicts us. And so Luke chapter 9, you can turn there. As we've been seeing, Luke records the life of Jesus and the various works and miracles that he performed in his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection. So we're going to be continuing on in Luke chapter 9 today, and we're going to be picking it up in verse 18. We're going to dive right into God's word. So let me read this for us, and you all can follow along. It says this, Now it happened that as he, Jesus, was praying alone, the disciples were with him, and he asked them, Who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. But others say, Elijah. And others, that one of the prophets of old has risen. Then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter said, the Christ of God. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and then be killed and on the third day raised. And then he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself Take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world, but he loses or forfeits himself or his soul, other translations say? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels but I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Now, about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James, and he went up to the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. Right, this is a miracle what's happening. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared with him in glory and spoke about his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Remember, Moses and Elijah had been, in, had been dead for centuries at this point. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory in the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it's good that we're here witnessing this. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, And one for Elijah, not really knowing what he was saying. And as he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent and told no one in those days anything that they had seen. So, Father God, we pray that as we approach your word, your truth, your scripture, that you would give us eyes to see it, that you would give us open hearts to receive it. Lord, we admit and we acknowledge that it is a supernatural event that we can sit here today, that we can gather, that we can hear from your word, that we can have eyes to see your truth, that you can illuminate Jesus in this text, and then how that bears weight on our lives, how that is relevant for us, how that relates to us, and even what we're called to do and how we are called to respond in light of seeing the text. So would you help us today? Father, we love you. Amen. And man, that that passage, it's a big passage. There's a lot going on. And I think it's one of those cool texts in Scripture because when you first read it, it might seem like, okay, this seems pretty disconnected, pretty disjointed. How does it relate? There's a lot going on. But I think it's also one of those texts where as we dive into it and we do the hard work of sort of investigating what's going on we begin to see how it all flows and fits beautifully together and so what what i want us to do first today is to really highlight the main idea that we see woven throughout this text as a theme right the main idea the main thread that is going to connect all of these verses that we just read so here's our main idea for today and we're going to have this on the screen As we follow Jesus in obedience, we discover more of who he is. We see him for who he is as he leads us into life, right? As we follow Jesus in obedience, we discover more of who he is as he leads us into life, right? So obedience leads to experiencing more of God, leads to life and joy. And here's why this is relevant to us I think right now. I've had conversations with quite a few of you personally recently, man, that post COVID, getting back into a regular rhythm of being involved in church is hard. Many of us are feeling discontent in some ways. Many of us might even be feeling disconnected from one another, and that's totally understandable. COVID was hard, the election season was hard. Being apart for so long, locked in our homes, was difficult. And even though we're now, praise God, it seems like finally pulling out of it, we are still absolutely feeling the effects of those things. And I think because of the past year, it has been tempting for some of us to just settle into some complacent rhythms. And I think that many of us are finding right now that obedience is just, it's just hard, right? It's hard getting going. And when I say obedience man, this could look differently for each one of us. That could be investing again fully in church. It could be pressing back into community. It could be serving in some capacity. It might even just be um, pursuing your neighbors or your coworkers with intentionality or praying for your family members or even just spending time with the Lord in his word and in prayer. Being obedient in so much of what God calls us to as Christians has been tough. And I'm saying this, not just because some of you have told me this personally, but because this is how how I have really felt for the past year or so. It's crazy, Grace. So my whole life, I grew up in the church. I've always loved uh, the church. I've always been energized by the church. I've seen some difficult things in the church for sure, but generally I've always loved and been filled up by being connected to God's people, to the community of faith. My love for being with, serving, and ministering to God's people has always Been strong, but if I'm honest, this past year has been different. And it's, in a lot of ways, kind of scared me in some ways. I've sensed in myself a lack of excitement about church. I've seen in myself somewhat even of an apathy to continue engaging in God's mission. And there have been times over the past year where my strong feelings and passions towards the church that I've always had in advancing God's mission. Have cooled somewhat, and and it really kind of freaks me out, and it has. And in these moments of uncertainty and even apathy from the past year, man, I've had to cling not to how I was feeling, not to what I wanted to do, but by God's grace, by who Jesus says He is and who He says we are, as we just sang, right? I am. You say I am. And as I've done that, not always perfectly man, he has been faithful to reveal himself and to remind me that he is present with me. And I'm thankful because he he has and he is, I think, bringing some renewal to me, and he's been doing that. I believe that he's renewing my desire to engage in mission and serve the body with, with passion and zeal and excitement. And so to those of us who are feeling this way, which I think is many of us, where obedience is just hard right now. And this is exactly what Jesus, I believe, addresses in this text. He's orienting the disciples on who who he is, his identity in the first verses. He's calling the disciples to follow him, even though that's hard and even though they might not want to, right? Bearing your cross, so that they might actually find their life in following him. And then the text, of course, beautifully crescendos when uh, Peter, James, and John seeing Jesus for who he is on the Mount of Transfiguration. This is not a coincidence. It's not unrelated to the rest of the text for what he's saying. He's, he's trying to show them something. He's trying to prepare them for the ministries that they would have after Jesus departs, when things get hard, and when they need to just trust and follow him and be obedient even when they don't want to and they don't feel like it. And it's not random that Moses and Elijah are present. We'll get to that. We'll dig into that. So with all that, let's move through this text and begin piecing this thing together, looking at what Jesus is getting at here in these verses. And it's nice because it's already broken up into four sections for us, and what we'll see is really something that Jesus wants us to get in each of these four sections. So we'll look at these, we'll see what Jesus is saying, how it all fits together, and then how it applies to us. So let's jump right in, back to verse 18 through 20. We'll read this. So again, now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him, and he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. But others say, Elijah, and others, that one of the prophets of old has risen. Then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God, right, the Messiah. Here's the first thing that Jesus wants to teach us here. Jesus shows us from these verses that he is God. Jesus shows us that he is God, right? He asked the disciples, who do people say I am? And we see based on their response that the popular view of who Jesus was was not necessarily the Messiah, not necessarily a savior. No, the popular view is that he was a holy man, maybe like John the Baptist, or he was a prophet, maybe like Elijah, one of the prophets of old, but not God. That would have been a fringe view. And that's not what most people thought about Jesus. In John's gospel, we see actually a whole group of people leaving Jesus because they realized that he wasn't who they wanted him to be, which was God. And Jesus, using Peter's answer, essentially replies and communicates to us, no, I'm not just a holy man. I'm not just a prophet proclaiming a message like John the Baptist. And if you're going to follow me in obedience and experience the life that I have for you, which is what he's going to call us to to do in a few verses, you're going to have to build your identity on this fundamental truth that I am not just a prophet, but I am the Messiah. I'm the Christ. I'm the one who can save you and who can deliver you from sin and death. And what Jesus is really doing here is he's, he's paving the way. He's laying the foundation for what he would call the disciples to do later on in verses 23 and 27, to obediently, follow him into uncharted waters that aren't easy and that are often scary, and yet they lead to life. The disciples would do a lot for the kingdom and for the church and their respective ministries, and Jesus is getting them ready, right? He's priming the pump. He's laying the foundation that his followers need to hear in order to follow him in faithful obedience, right? We're following the Messiah. Grace so we need this message. He's talking to us as he reminds us who it is that we follow. My family and I lately uh, have been listening to, we've done a lot of traveling, as I just mentioned. We were just in Georgia, and we have two young boys, one and three, and so we listen to Disney soundtracks like the whole way, and one of my favorite ones, which is one of my favorite movies when I was a kid, was The Lion King. Great music, great movie. The story of Simba of the Lion, who will one day be king of the jungle, but his father is killed by his evil uncle Scar. And so Simba is banished and he's not gonna be able to be king, right? Heavy moment. So Simba grows up far away from home, forgetting who he is until one day Nala, the girl line, his friend, shows up. She finds him and she says, Simba, I found you. Man, you gotta come back. You gotta rescue us. Your uncle Scar is a terrible uh, king, leader, whatever. You gotta save us. He's an evil king. And Simba initially refuses, right? He'd forgotten who he was. He got comfortable, he wanted to do his own thing. He just wanted to party all day with Timon and Pumbaa, Kuna Matata. And so it takes both Nala and Simba's deceased father in a dream, if you watch the movie, reminding Simba of who he is and that he is the rightful heir to the throne. And ultimately, it's his identity and him realizing what he was made for that acts as the catalyst for Simba faithfully doing what he was made to do, fulfilling his calling even when it was hard and he didn't want to. Jesus knows that we must firmly establish our identity in him as God of the universe, not just a prophet. And if we're going to move forward in obedience and faithfulness, we have to believe this. We have to build our lives on this. Again, he's laying a foundation here, reminding us that the one that we follow is not just a holy man, but he's God. That's the first thing that Jesus shows us. Verse 21. Verse 21. And so he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, which is kind of odd, saying that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. So the second thing that Jesus shows us here in the text, number two, Jesus shows us the work that he does. Jesus shows us the work that he does. Right? He says, the Son of Man, which that in and of itself is a loaded messianic prophetic statement, title he gives himself. But he says, the son of man must suffer and he's gonna be rejected by the elders and the Jewish priest. He's even going to be killed. But then on the third day, he's gonna be raised again to life. Jesus is telling us straight up what's gonna happen in the work that he will do to fulfill his plans and purposes. And here's the thing, Grace so the disciples probably didn't like hearing this, what Jesus is saying. They're probably thinking, okay, Jesus, so we can't tell people the good news that you're the Messiah that you just affirmed even though we see that they all need to be corrected in their view that you're just a prophet or a holy man. That's, so that's one thing. You're going to be rejected by the priests, elders, and scribes, the religious leaders that we honestly have looked up to and respected our entire lives. Three, you're going to be killed. That's not good. And then four, you're going to be raised on the third day. We're not sure exactly what that means, as the other Gospels tell us and show us. And so here's a situation now where Jesus is calling the disciples to be obedient And to trust him, even though doing so his way, would have gone against their better judgment. So Christian, as we follow Jesus, we realize more and more, if we've walked with Jesus for any amount of time, that his ways, most of the time, are not our ways. And that his plans and purposes aren't usually done the way that we would script things out or that we would orchestrate. But what I love about that is that it forces us to trust him. Right, It forces us to say, okay, Lord, it's got to be you doing the work because I'm not in control. This is your thing. I'll be obedient. I'll trust you. I'll surrender. And we can trust him because we know, right, our statement earlier, as we follow Jesus in obedience, we discover more of who he is. We see him, and that leads us into life and joy. So Jesus shows us that he's God. He shows us the work that he does in the number three, our next chunk of text, Jesus calls us to follow him in obedience. Verse 23. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world, he gains everything, but he loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death till they see the kingdom of God. Jesus calls us to follow him in obedience. So in contrast to Jesus, to following Jesus in the way that maybe we want or maybe we think is best, here Jesus lays out for him What following him looks like. So, this is really the nature of what truly following Jesus looks like. And this is challenging. This challenged me a lot over this past year. Verse 23 denying yourself. So, what does regular denial of yourself look like in your life, Grace? So, in what ways are you saying no to yourself so that you can follow Jesus? Man, think deeply about this, press in deep. Take up your cross daily and follow me. Are we waking up at the start of every day thinking, okay, today my life is about following my Savior or is it about our own comforts, whatever it may be? One commentator says, we are to recognize that we now live for the sake of Christ, not for our own sake. The next words about the daily cross explain and intensify this principle. A condemned criminal was forced to carry one bar of his cross to the place of his execution. It's heavy. He was on the way to death to take up the cross daily is to live each day, not for self, but for Christ. Jesus then says in verse 24, right, those who seek to save their life will lose it. But in contrast, those who let go of their lives for me will actually save and find their lives. He expounds on this in verse 25. He says, if your life is caught up in just pursuing the things of this world, and even if you amass the things of this world, everything that the world has to offer, But you miss me, you're going to lose yourself because you will miss out on what truly leads you into life. And we can take Jesus at his word here, right? Because as we established earlier, he's God. He made this world, he made us. Verse 26 Again, for whoever's ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory, in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Another way to say this would be, don't disown this teaching. Don't disown following me, because following me again in obedience leads to life. Again, we see the Son of Man using that messianic language here as Jesus continues to remind the disciples that he's not just a prophet, he's God. And then in verse 27, I tell you the truth, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of god. Man, loaded statement. There's a lot of different interpretations here. I don't think Jesus is saying here that some of the disciples wouldn't physically die, but rather is pointing us to the broader spiritual principle that through our obedience and faith in Christ, the power of sin and death is diminished and we see and experience more and more of god and his kingdom as we follow him in obedience, right? So that's that's the overarching high-level truth. However, even as I say that, I do think that this statement connects to what's about to happen in verse 28 with Peter, James, and John, and that the three of them will see a visible manifestation of the kingdom through the transfiguration of Jesus, and that they would continue to see more and more of his kingdom breaking into the world and subduing the powers of sin and darkness as they continue to what? What have we been saying? Be obedient. Follow Jesus. Because as we follow Jesus in obedience, we discover more of who he is, and that leads us into life. Jesus shows us that he's God. He shows us the work that he does. He calls us to follow him in obedience. And before we move to the last portion of our text today, I want to tell the stories of two men very briefly. The first man was estranged from his family at a young age, a murderer even, Then he became a shepherd in the desert after he fled his home. But Then one day day God called him to lead his fellow people, his kinsmen, out of slavery. He didn't want to. He was afraid. He didn't feel up to the task, but he was obedient. He experienced highs and lows, ups and downs. He even led his people out of slavery right up to the good land that they were to inherit. But he himself did not enter the land of promise as he had hoped. He died just before And yet he was still obedient right to the end. The second man was like the first, also called by God. But instead of bringing physical freedom to his kinsmen, God called him to to bring spiritual freedom and renewal to his people by calling God's people to turn away from their sins and to turn back to Yahweh in obedience. This man also experienced God doing incredible miracles through him, but he also experienced great Hardship, threats to his own life, fear, hunger, famine, and even great discouragement in his ministry. Like the first man, this man also never quite saw the fruits of his labor in the way that he was hoping for, or the good long-term effects of his ministry in his lifetime, and yet he was obedient right to the end of his life. So you might have guessed these two men are Moses and Elijah. And they're obedient to the Lord at multiple points in their lives and ministries, even when it was hard and even when they didn't want to be obedient, which happened to them many times. As I said, Moses and Elijah didn't quite see all the fruits of their labors. And there were still so many questions that went unanswered in their lives as they followed God until one day, hundreds of years later, after their physical lives on this earth had ended when they suddenly found themselves on top of a mountain in Israel. Now, about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up to the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. So in this moment, we see Jesus revealing physically his power, his glory, his majesty. The fact that he is God, right? As we said, remember verse 18 and 20, is put on full display here on the mountain. And then we see who? Moses and Elijah, right there, appearing with Jesus, speaking with them specifically, as it says, about his departure and the work that he would accomplish at Jerusalem. They're speaking with Jesus about the cross, and his resurrection, right? Because this is what Jesus would accomplish at Jerusalem. They're talking about the gospel. And here's what's cool. Moses and Elijah, who were faithful in their lives and saw ups and downs and didn't quite get to see the fruits of what they were doing, are finally getting to see this physical manifestation of the kingdom. They're finally getting to see the culmination, in a sense, of all their labors when they were on earth, being obedient even when it was difficult to know how things would turn out, wondering perhaps if their efforts were in vain and yet striving to serve God faithfully. And as Yahweh revealed himself and his purposes to Moses and Elijah on Mount Sinai centuries earlier in their lives on earth, God is once again revealing to them and to us that following him in obedience is always worth it because it leads to life. And it was there on that mountain that Moses and Elijah meet Jesus, right? The author of life and the one who would bring about the fulfillment of the kingdom on earth for God's people, everything that Moses and Elijah wanted to see done. But in a way that neither of them could have imagined. So that's the fourth thing that we see here in our text is that Jesus shows us that following him in obedience is always worth it as it leads us into life. I believe that Jesus also wanted his disciples to witness this as well. Specifically, the fact that we can trust God and what he calls us to and be obedient in that. Remember, Peter, James, and John would have all been well acquainted with the lives of Moses and Elijah and their stories and how they were obedient to the Lord up to the end. And I believe that the disciples witnessing here, listen to this, the Messiah explaining to Moses and Elijah all that he was about to accomplish and even how the work that they accomplished in their lives, gave way to the work that Jesus was about to do at Calvary. That the disciples seeing this would have had a massive impact on them for the rest of their lives as they too would be called to be faithful and obedient in their ministries, specifically the ministries that they would have soon of writing the New Testament letters, beginning to proclaim the new gospel message to the world and even planting the seeds of the church there would be hardship and opposition. And yet, as they followed Jesus in obedience, they would discover more of who he is and that would lead them into life. So we're gonna wrap up our text for today, verse 32. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep. But when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. And as he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them. And they were afraid as they entered the cloud and a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my son, my chosen one, listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent and told no one in those days anything that they had seen. So the disciples wake up from sleeping, which kind of happens a lot when Jesus takes them to pray. They keep falling asleep. Jesus is very patient and gracious to them. They wake up, they see everything. They're in awe. It's amazing, as we said earlier. And so Peter, not quite knowing what to say, but realizing that this is, this is an incredible moment, says, Lord, let's, let's build some tents. This is a weird statement for us. We don't quite understand it, but it in effect communicates to us as the reader that the disciples wanted to stay in this moment. They didn't want to leave. Historically, the building of booths or tents was normally done in Jewish culture for rest, celebration, and worship. It was synonymous with many of the feasts and celebrations within Jewish culture. And so it makes sense that the uniqueness, the sacredness, the holiness of the moment would warrant this response from Peter. Man, Lord, we want to stay right here. We don't want to leave. And as Peter's continuing kind of to ramble a little bit, Suddenly there's a voice, a cloud descends on the mountain, which in the Old Testament, the cloud is always synonymous with God's presence. We see this all over. And out of the cloud, we hear a voice, and the voice says, this is my son, my chosen one, listen to him. And so now we've come back full circle, right? All the way back to verses 18 and 20, where Jesus asks the disciples, who am I? Peter rightly confesses that he's the Christ. And now here on the Mount of Transfiguration, we see God the Father affirming the same truth. This is my son. Here's who he is. You want to know who he is? This is him. He is the chosen one. And because that's true, right? Because he's God, and because your identity is built on him, you can listen to him. You can follow him. You can be obedient. No matter what you experience, no matter how you feel, no matter how hard it is even, because obedience to him will lead us into life as we experience more of him, as we see him where he is. As we follow Jesus in obedience, we discover more he is like Moses and Elijah, like Peter, James, and John saw him for who he was on the mountain. So Jesus shows us that he's God. He shows us the work that he does. He calls us to follow him in obedience and he reveals to us that following him is always worth it as he leads us into life. So church, many of us are again in a place, right now I think where obedience is hard, whether that's engaging in church life, pursuing those around us who don't know Jesus, or even just spending intentional time with the Lord. It's been a rough year. But as we continue to move away from COVID and we begin to transition back to some semblance of normal life, As one of your pastors, I want to encourage you to be faithful and to begin, again, to take steps of obedience in your life, whatever that looks like for you, and that's going to look differently for each one of us, but I want to encourage you to be obedient and to follow Jesus in whatever he's leading you in, because despite what you might be tempted to believe or to think, man, he is your life. He is your sustenance. He is everything. God calls us to obediently enter into what he has for us. And as we do, we see him for who he is. We experience him more and more. We enter more and more into the life that he has for us, the joy that he has for us. And we see that following his leading is always worth it. So we're gonna move now to a time of communion. So I'll invite the band back up to play for us. Communion being the time where we remember what Jesus has done, how he had his life taken so that we might have life as we place our faith in him. And so as we take of the cup and the bread, the elements, which are right there, feel free in just a second to come grab that as you feel led. But as we take of the elements in this time of remembrance, we'd love for you to reflect on uh, some ways that God has been faithful to you in your past. So how has God been faithful to you? That's the first thing I want you to think about. How has God been faithful to you? And then allow that then to inform the way that you pray right now and ask where the Lord might be calling you to be obedient. So how has God been faithful to you? And then allow that to impact you saying, Lord, how, how, because of your faithfulness back here, how can I be obedient to you right now, today, this week? So Father, as we come to you, We love you and we're just, we're thankful that even though following you sometimes is hard and it's scary, it might not even be fun sometimes when it's kind of that initial thing of us getting going. But God, you have promised that you would give us joy in life, that you would be with us, that you would change us, that you would protect us. Think of the 23rd Psalm, Lord, where you lead us through the valley of the shadow of death and yet your, your shepherd staff is with us, protecting us. And so, God, I pray, as we enter into this time of communion and worship, that we would, we would be obedient, that we would follow you, that you would, we would see you more clearly, God, as, as Moses and Elijah saw you, as the disciples saw you for who you were. And that we would do that together, Father God, collectively, pressing into one another and pressing into you. God, we give you all the glory. Amen.